welcome to That's Life, where we thank everyone who has already pledged their support during the JM and the AM Marathon. And to the rest of you, well, what are you waiting for? Go to jmandtheam.org and pledge what you can. We are listener-supported at WFMU at JM and the AM, and we depend on you for anything that you can give. As we like to say, vote early, vote often. So in this case, it's give early, give often. But tomorrow is the last day of the marathon, so if you have not given yet, please do. As the children in my family, as we used to say when we were growing up around Hanukkah time, all donations are gratefully accepted. Good morning, folks, and thanks for, listen- thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m. right after Charlie and right before Nachum's live lunch as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. And actually... I'll be with you today till about 1 o'clock. I will be covering the live lunch for Nahum as he continues our JM the AM marathon and all the hard work that goes along with that. Of Rummy and I will be covering that from 11 to 1. We start with brunch. We end with lunch. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. Get that mic on, buddy. I'm joined by my... Ooh, all the mics then. Okay. I'm joined by my handy-dandy partner, of Rummy. What's up, Avram? I'm feeling streptacular. <laughs> oh, can I ask you how long you thought of that line? Uh, just since I saw you and I was like, how am I going to bring oh, this in? Shoot. This right. morning, not too bad, right? My dad's really proud of you right now, i got to be honest. Well, this is a little bit role reversal because the last time I sat in this chair, I did sound a little bit like death warmed over. And the conversation began, uh, I shouldn't say began, but the conversation took place afterwards. Should I, should I have even gotten on the air sounding as bad as I did that day? Well, I'm not on the air that much. I don't sound so bad no, now, right? No, you actually right? sound... So, yes, you know, right. I'm on my antibiotics since yesterday at about 4. And so, your mask is where that we discussed. Know, right. Because I finished my I didn't want to scare Z-pack. people coming into the studio. Oh, no. that Nothing so, says welcome to the studio <laughs> like a mask, a surgical mask. Yeah. Uh, if you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you're a returning listener, thanks, as always, for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Alex Herman did. You can friend me on Facebook. Send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, Miriam at NahumSiegel.com. I'm not being rude. I'm just being honest. I will make sure to get back to you afterwards. You can also please follow us on Twitter, NahumSiegelNet. That's all one word. And Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. And by the way, shout out to everyone I met last week on my trip to Israel. Avrami, I got to tell you, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal trip. Um, I landed on Monday. I left Thursday night. It was a whirlwind. It was most certainly a whirlwind, but it was it was great. And the number of people that I met who had wonderful and supportive and excited responses to everything that we're doing here at the network and at JM and the AM was quite remarkable. So I thank everyone there. I thank everyone at Rambam Medical Center. You know, Avram, we've had on Michelle Sigelnik from the Rambam Medical Center, and she told us about the um, underground garage that the Rambam Medical Center in Haifa has built and how they are able to – how they have um, – fashioned the parking garage to, in times of peace, just being a parking garage, but in times of war or in the event, heaven forbid, of a chemical attack, that they can turn that into an underground hospital. Well, I got a tour of that facility. It's remarkable. I know I think I've said remarkable about 30 times and the show's only five minutes in, but I will show you pictures, and actually maybe I'll be able to post them. I, I think I have to ask Rambam permission of what the facility looks like. It is not to be believed. They can take in, in the event of, a chemical attack. They can take in 6,000 people, patients, staff, etc., 6,000 people to safety. And that number in and of itself is mind-boggling. Um, it, is, it, is quite, it is quite incredible what is going on there. Um, as, I, as my aunt said to me when I told her that I had toured the facility, she said, if only we didn't need it. And unfortunately, that is a reality, and they are they are preparing for all eventualities. But in truth, my trip for the 72-plus hours that I was there was really quite incredible. Uh, today's a great show, folks, so let's get moving. Let's go to our favorite segment. This fortune cookie, by the way, is brought to you by L.E.Y. Katz of Chopsticks, who Mark Zomick sort of bullied into making sure <laughs> that he would be my new fortune cookie uh, provider. So I thank Chopsticks, and I thank Chopsticks for uh, providing breakfast the other day during the marathon. No, I didn't have any of it, and I didn't bring any of it to you. Unfortunately, I'm having trouble opening this one. You know, L.E.Y. Katz also offered that um, he said, you know, I can give you chocolate ones also. I'm like, no, 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 no. It has to be these. It has to be vanilla, plain old good vanilla. All right, here we go. 
Fortitude is the guard and support of the other virtues. All right. All right, Ellie, for a first shot, that's not bad. It's a single. It's a single. It's not like the one. Did you hear the one I got last week in Israel? Did you hear that one? You didn't? Seriously? You don't remember? All right, I'll have to pull it up. I can't pull it up right now, but I will definitely make sure to pull it up or at least show it to you afterwards because I was convinced after that program that uh, Nefesh Benefesh and Confucius work together. That's all I have to say. Today is the day of the dude. You know what that's about? Come on. Um, What's his name? Yeah, come, come on, come on, It's totally the Big Lebowski. Yes! Why is today the day? You're my hero. I don't know, but evidently, according to the website, they de- they designed or decided that this day was going to be the day of the dude, and I think that that's because other dates were picked. So a lot of people going around doing bad impressions of him and wishing they were him? Or just saying the dude abides. Ah, okay. The dude abides, I think that's all you have to say in order to be Makayim the Mitzvah. If you haven't seen the movie The Big Lebowski, it's a cult favorite. Agreed? It's not for everyone. It's Neither am I, by the way. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, It's also name tag day. I'm not sure what that's about, but I don't have a name tag, and... I'm going to move on. It's also World Book Day, and it's Oreo Cookie Day, which is an announcement that... Oh, that's why you mentioned Oreos this morning? Yes, that's why we had... See, I was tuned in for a bit. That's (laughs) nice. That's nice. It was a metaphoric conversation about Oreos and JM and AM, and I'm not sure how the whole thing worked, but whatever. Um, And that's also one of the reasons I passed you that note while Charlie was still on, that I have some good news and some bad news. So really, it was two bad newses. A, I have to move my car at 11 o'clock so I don't get towed, and B... Um, I brought all the Oreos into JM and AM, so I'm going to have to figure out how to get this over <laughs> the next couple of hours because we do need to partake. You know Nahum's favorite, by the way, the double stuff. I heard him mention something about that as well. Yes, yes. And so when I mentioned to him yesterday that it was National Oreo Day, he, he said, well, you are going to bring the double stuff because they improved upon perfection, which who knew you could do. Anyway, you're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. My first guest joins me in the studio. He's a returning guest. Mark Goldman from Saw You at Sinai joins me here, and uh, he couldn't find parking, and <laughs> I really apologize for that. Good morning. How are you? That's totally okay. <laughs> I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you making the effort. Tell me something. Am I hallucinating, or are more people in their late 30s and early 40s getting married now than they were before, for the first time? Getting married for the first time yeah. versus their 20s. Correct. That is 100% correct. All right. So, And that's not, by the way, just a Jewish phenomenon. That's, that's true throughout the entire American population. Really? So it's – I don't want to call it a trend. I, that's because trends come and go and what have you. But it but is – But it is a trend. It, you think it is? <laughs> uh, it has been a trend for the past 15 years. If you look every year, it keeps getting – the average age of people getting married or getting older and older, and that's uh, that's been true of, the, of our entire generation. So you think it's attributed to the same things within both communities, both in the secular community and the Jewish community? There are many factors that contribute to why people are getting married later in life. I think number one number one reason is opportunity. If you look at opportunities now, people can go ahead and get higher education. They can go ahead and travel much more. They can go ahead and see the world much more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to do in life. If you go back 20 years, definitely for the opportunity for women were significantly less, but even for men right. as well. Who, now you can jump on a plane and travel down to Florida in three hours, you're there. Right. You, you couldn't do that 50 years ago. It was not so easy to do that. And forget about a cost perspective, but also just grabbing a flight. So it's much easier to do things. So therefore, your, your attraction, your attention is on many other things other than just getting married. It was very rare to be moving out of your household unless you were married 50 years ago. Today, it's the norm. Right. So it's almost everyone's out of their house by the time they're done with college. Okay, where am I moving to? And so uh, that's, I think, a big, big contributor today. So when you said opportunities, I thought you meant opportunities for people to meet each other. And and I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, contradicting you at all. And I think you're making a great point. But when um, a good friend of mine recently got engaged in her late 30s, her mother said to me at the Lachaim, she said to me, you know, if if they don't meet. In, you know, if you don't meet in Stern or you don't meet in Queens when you're still in college, it's just so hard to find somebody. And I had nothing to respond to that. But is there is there some truth to that in terms of those kind of opportunities? There are there. Well, there are probably more opportunities afterwards. And that's part of the part of the challenges at times. Interesting. Uh, the, the paradox of choice is is is, uh, is a very, very big one. You start getting out there you're like, wow, I can meet so many different people and you're going out and you having a fun time. When you're in school, you're focused, okay, I'm focused on my schoolwork, focused on whatever other activities I have going on, and you're uh, just kind of relaxing and it might fall into a relationship by accident. Afterwards, you're running around, going to work, you're coming home, you're enjoying whether it's the Upper West Side or Queens or Brooklyn or wherever else it might be, 
And there are a lot of people you can meet. The problem is they're all you and your friends. Mm, so let's the talk friends, about that. Don't friends, just friends. gloss over that. <laughs> Don't just gloss over that because that term of, yes, everyone's friends on the Upper West Side. And now, now by the way, in Washington Heights. That's true. The Washington right. Heights as well. But uh, I guess if you want to eliminate all your friends' opportunities, then you're right. There are a lot less opportunities. Many, many less opportunities. But uh, on the other hand, if you look right around you quite often, and that does happen a lot, and we do see cases where um, people overlook their, their friend for many, many years, and all of a sudden they realize that they're end up marrying their friends because that was the person that understood them the best, got right. alone with them the best, and were amazing many years later. Right. So don't go ahead and forget about who's right in front of you. That is good, Musser. It's, it's very true. Very it true. is very true. It is very true. Sometimes that person is just staring you right in the face. Yeah, but it takes a little while for you to realize it. Sometimes we're a little slower than we'd like to. <laughs> what, what becomes that watershed moment where all of a sudden you get hit and say, oh, my gosh, I've been hanging out with this person for five years, six years, or whatever it is, and maybe we need to take a go at it. Quite often it's uh, one person giving the ultimate to the other because there, <laughs> there might have been interest from one on and off over the years and might have been each other interest uh, at different times when the other one was not interested. But then one finally says, okay, look, I, I'm interested and I can't just stay friends right now. And the other person says yes or they, they're not friends and they miss each other and they realize, okay, I'll go back and try it out. So sometimes the – Going ahead and being pushed and saying it's either yes or no and trying it out, that finally pushes someone to, to go ahead and the take ultimate, the plunge. The ultimatum works? The ultimatum does work. It's very interesting. I would imagine that in many cases it just gets pushed back. Uh, it, it does get pushed back initially. But if you've really been good friends with someone for a long time, quite often they're then missing that relationship. If you're not close friends with them and just acquaintance, then that's not going to work as effectively. On Saw You at Sinai, do you have instances? What Saw You at Sinai? What did I just say? What Saw You at Sinai? What do you mean? What am I? What, did I just miss something? No, not not, what's, <laughs> not, not, not whatsoever. But it's, uh, that's not where you're going to end up meeting someone. Just no, no but then it brings me to my question. I'm like, wait a minute, did I just do something wrong? <laughs> no, I just wanted to catch you off guard. Well, you did. Second. I've been up since three. Right uh, now, okay. you could call me anything, and uh, I would. <laughs> when you when have you ever been in a situation, or has one of the one of the shadchanim ever tried to set up two people who have been good friends for a long time, and then one person says to the shadchan, and the other person says, you know what? I've known this person my whole life. I've known this person whatever. I can't imagine. Like, does the shotgun then look at them? All the time. Really? All the time it happens. That's one of the top reasons why someone gives back, oh, I already know this person. Always. Matter of fact, they wanted to give two different responses because we require someone to give a response to the matchmaker why they're not interested. Okay. And how does they, it, so just take a step back. How does it work? How does it work? The, people sign up on the website, go ahead and fill out a profile. And once they're done filling out a profile, there are 350 matchmakers that will go ahead and review that profile. Mm-hmm. You have your own couple of of expert matchmakers to work on your particular uh, get to know you better, but then they'll try to find a try to find a good person for you. They use the algorithm set up in the system, right? And then they review the ideas and they say, "Oh, wow, five great people. Let me go ahead and look into it a little bit further." They hopefully call the person up, find a little more about them, see if, see if it really is a good match rather than just being a good match on paper. And they suggest the ideas to you through the website. Uh, you now get the profile and you say, "Ah." Oh, you know, is that the good for me? Fantastic. You accept the idea. Maybe you want to think about it. Maybe you want to look into some references. Maybe you uh, want to see uh, who you know on Facebook, which happens way too often. Mm. And um, the, the bottom line is, though, if they're not interested, what are the, one of the top reasons why they give, I'm already friends with this person. But now we have a new category. I already know this person. So that means I'm not actually friends with him. I don't know much about them, but I've seen them. I know they, I've had one meal with them in my entire life. So now that was a big request. So if I already know who this person is, I don't necessarily want to go out with him. Seems, so. seems like being friends with someone is almost the kiss of death. Uh, it, it, um, if no you pun intended. Get, <laughs> if you want to get involved in a, a relationship with the person, um, I, I think you got to go ahead and, and push it a little bit further. So, yes, it can be very challenging because people view that as kind of out of bounds. Wow. That was cracky, crackly. I, I think they view it as out of bounds. So uh, that, that's that's part of the problem, being friends. But now what I'm saying is that they're even putting out of bounds people who are acquaintances, who happen to, they happen to know who they are. So that friendship barrier has now expanded to in- include the next category of people, which, oh, I've seen them. I've know, I know who they are. I met a medicatish. Yeah, exactly. I met right. a medicatish for that 30 seconds, and therefore they're ruled out. Now, obviously, if there's no pure physical attraction, that might be one thing. But the, quite often, they're eliminating for other reasons. Oh, they came in with that person into the room. Well, what does that mean? They probably just walked in together out of shul. I mean, but the, <laughs> literally, you'll hear the most ridiculous answers at times. That doesn't mean you should always go ahead and 
go find and see if there's a friend that's interested. But quite often, people, again, look overlook the obvious right in front of them. Somebody probably also gets that request or gets that suggestion from a shotgun and probably never or doesn't have the guts to make that connection or to go over to the person on their own. Listen, I asked my husband out. That is completely my personality. Nobody here can be shocked. But not everyone has. Right, I know, and Toby asked you out, right, Avrami? Sort of. Yeah, she basically said, you know, are you going to ask me out or what? We were we were talking on the phone and uh, for a while, and I didn't know exactly, like, the whole rules of shit like this and whatever. I thought, oh, you talk first because we met on a, on a dating website. And so we were talking, and then after talking for, like, 20 minutes or something, she's like, are you going to ask me out already? (laughs) Right. Well, I... Good for her for being so direct. (laughs) Exactly. By the way, you snooze, you lose, is the way I felt about it. But um, I imagine that if if you have a guy or you have a girl... What's going on? Mics are very hot. If you have a guy or... We've still got a lot of echo. Thank you. If you have a guy or you have a girl who doesn't have the guts to ask out that other person, and the shotgun's the one who suggests it, and you click off, oh, I know that person already, or, oh, I'm friends with that person already, but doesn't say, no, I'm not interested. This is probably a really good way for someone else to make the suggestion without leaving one of the other individuals vulnerable. So there are times that actually a person will actually say that. They'll really? actually say the, the, to the match, look, I'm, I'm interested, but we're actually pretty good friends right now, and I don't want to ruin that friendship. Can you find out maybe if he or she is interested as well? So the shotgun can play that role. It's uh, it's a very delicate role because, of course, you don't want to betray that confidence. You want to kind of feel out the the path a little bit. And the shotgun does do that effectively. And that is one area where if one person will at least admit to their interest and show that initial interest, the matchmaker can take it to that next step. Does somebody ever come on the site and just say, listen, I don't need you to do blah, 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 blah for me. I just need you to call this person and find out if she'll go out with me. Like sidestepping everything. I mean, are they just using you as the conduit? Um, I don't know if they're just using us as a pure conduit for one person, but we do have what's called a suggest a match idea where someone can suggest a match for somebody else. Oh, But really? that somebody else can be themselves. Oh, that's cute. So you can go in there and suggest ideas for your friends. Mm-hmm. It, it quite Every time you decline. I don't know. What's going on? I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. Every time you... This is... I'm with you. Every time... You don't hear anything? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I think there's obviously something wrong with that. Mike, you're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We are clearly experiencing some kind of technical difficulty, though I don't... I don't know why. Maybe it's that, Mike? All right, things sound... No. 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 It's something... You know what? You want to switch mics? You want to just move over one? Let's get that mic over there. I'm going to keep talking. That's not a problem because I am paid to talk for a living and we're going to work things out while Avrami takes care of Mark Goldman from Saw You at Sinai. Truth be told is I had made a joke on Facebook that um, we are a far cry from Tevya and Fiddler on the Roof and how he was able to, you know, in in uh, Anatevka, they just set up their kids with the matchmaker and that was the way it was done and what was her name? Goldie? Golda? I don't even remember at this point. Shalom Aleichem's uh, Tevye the Milkman is what that is based off of. But the truth of the matter is, is his mic good right now? Let's try that out. Okay. I All right. We're back. Great. So, almost. Um, but the, I don't know. Close. It's too close. You know what? Let's move over here. Come closer to me. No. Code the other way? All right. We'll figure it out. Um, we're working on it. We got... I mean, I can hear you fine. Okay. Okay, we're all right. I just got to sit up really straight. Considering I'm 6'6", that means this uh, mic is really high. Yeah, the truth... All right, well, that we can adjust a little bit. That we can adjust a little bit. That's not a problem. Yeah, you know what? The truth of the matter is, between having a boss who's 6'5 and a guest who's 6'6", we should be able to to deal with the height of all of our hosts and all of our guests. This is not like a uh, business seat versus a coach seat on an international flight. Where you really have no choice. How's that? All right. Well, we're going to put your mic back on. Now we got it. We are a far cry from Anatevka. Thank you for being patient. I appreciate it, Mark. We no are a far cry from Anatevka. We are a far cry from anyone calling a matchmaker and uh, sight unseen. But obviously that takes place in many societies and in many of our sects and plenty of, you know, very orthodox or set are, are arranging marriages and that's fine that works for them that that's perfect but this is obviously uh, saw you at sinai and, and sites sites that 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 facilitate the matches and and all these shidduchim obviously are are speaking to a generation of people who are finding each other on facebook 
They are, they are finding each other on Facebook. I think Facebook, though, is used as, as a tool as much as anything else to eliminate who you're interested in as it is to find who you're interested in. Quite often, as I briefly mentioned a little bit earlier, when somebody has suggested idea, one of the first things they do now is go see if they know them on Facebook. And they'll look for a picture. They'll look for kind of what they're interested in, who their friends are. So uh, whatever it might be, whatever picture you put up there, assume that whoever you might be interested in is going to see that picture up there. And that happens a lot. It's worse than getting a job. It's uh, Well, the same problem exists when you're getting a job because if you put that picture up there and your person that just interviewed you goes on Facebook and sees something and says, whoa, great candidate, right. but – that's not what we want representing us out there. It's the same. It's the same thing here, and it could be for religious reason. You might have gone away to uh, a nice trip away to Cancun, and all of a sudden, you took one picture with your friend because you're the only, only two around, and they put it on Facebook on their account, and you got tagged, and all of a sudden, someone doesn't want to go out with you for a situation that is really ir- irrelevant for 99.9 of the situations. I've told so, my kids in terms of getting into colleges and making sure that their admissions process goes as smoothly as possible. I mean, none of my kids have Facebook pages. And no, none of my kids have secret Facebook pages either. Well, Miriam, how would you know if they're secret? Trust me. Thank God we have a very good relationship. And I trust my kids that when they tell me they have no Facebook page, they have no Facebook page. But even Twitter, what no matter what it is, and I'm incredibly conscientious about what I post and what I say and what picture I would put up there. I mean, it, it's it's um, your life is under a microscope at all times. And when you're looking for that person that you are hoping – that you are hoping that is not by the way that was not a mistake that was manhattan um <laughs> when you are looking for the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with you don't want anyone to look at your facebook page or anything else you do on social media and say i don't think so everything's accessible these days right. and and google is the other one that people can use very effectively uh whatever mistake you might have made in your entire life if it's a public mistake, it's right there on Google. And that's the other tool that people use very, very quickly. Facebook is where you look for things. Google is where you look for things right afterwards because it's going to pop up there very quickly. I met somebody last summer, actually Naomi Landsman, who is, I, w- I guess you would call her a super shotgun. She's amazing. <laughs> love her. Love her. She's amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Last she bu- is dedicated. She has intu- intuition. Yeah, she's got she's, it. She's uh, working at it like crazy and has a, had a lot, a lot of successes already as well. So by last summer, I think she said she had eight yeah. within, I don't know, like a finite, like a couple of months. And she's so excited about it. It's, 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 great, it's great to see that as well. So the excitement, she, it pushes her to do even harder and stronger and more. I mean, she used to run a camp, so she was right. looking for something else to do. She was like, okay, I'm done with that. What am I doing next? And her husband was, was so excited. Her husband's a principal over at YCQ. Right. All excited. He came up to me and said, look, you found something amazing for my wife to be able to do now. And she feels fulfilled by it. And she's excited by it. And she's finding success with it. She clearly knew how to deal with people. She was running an entire camp. Right. So she knew a lot of people, knew what to say, knew what to do, knew how to deal with a lot of political issues. And She is really great at it in terms of being a, major, in terms of being a master shadchan. Uh, I can't imagine there being any other perfect term. For somebody like Naomi, do you know what number she's up to now? I have no idea. I don't. I, I don't know what it is offhand. But it's even I'm, as a person who um, has been asked by her friends never to set them up because I'm so bad at it. I mean, Mark, I am honestly really bad. I think I told you the story that years ago my cousin called me because he was being set up with one of my college roommates. And I said to him, that is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. And, of course, now they have five kids and live in Modian. And that's always the big joke. And that's proof that Miriam should never be trying to set up anyone. So I stay away from it because I don't need to do bad things. <laughs> I just – I don't have the intuition. I don't know what it takes. What? There's irony here. I am probably as bad as you. No way. Making a setup. Yeah. How is that possible? When I first got started with Soyotan, I people started asking, oh, now you have a huge database. Set me up. Please set me up. And, of course, I tried to, and luckily they were still my friends afterwards because the ideas were awful. And the algorithm works. The, alg- the algorithm works, but the problem is there is a person behind that algorithm. And if they decide, oh, this is a good idea when it's really not, then the people give them feedback about that. And I get a lot of feedback about that that I'm really off. Really? See, I don't have that touch like Naomi did. Naomi's got, Naomi She's knows amazing. which ones should be taking the next step, and I did not. <laughs> That's very interesting. What number is so you sign up to? We have over 2,000 people now that have gotten married. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've been, we've been we just had our 10-year anniversary. You know you can eat a hamburger now with cheese on it and whatever else, and God's going to say, Connie, come my on. My wife in. says that all the time. She's like, this is great. <laughs> Where do you want to go to dinner tonight? Pick any matter. restaurant you want. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who was your first couple? 
I have no idea. I'm embarrassed to say that. No, there's nothing to be embarrassed. <laughs> Thank God you're 2,000 couples strong. Uh, 2,000 couples strong. People say, oh, do you get invited to every wedding? And I don't. Do they even know you exist? They don't know I exist. I'm right. very happy to stay in the background. It's the matchmaker. The matchmaker has to be invited to the wedding. And I'm, ve- I'm very excited when they are, very excited when they're participating in that simple. I, I am creating the, the tool for all the matchmakers to use. And I'm just not as good at using that tool. It's unbelievable. But the matchmakers love it and they're, they find it valuable and it helps them do their job much more effectively. Wow. Unbelievable. That is great irony, by the way. Saw you at Sinai.com. How many people you have in the database at this point? There are about 50,000 people now in the database. And that includes everything from someone who's 18, so high as in their, in their 70s, people that are just Jewish by name, to people who are yeshivish. So we have the entire gamut of the Jewish community in the database today. How do you deal with the Shomer Shabbos, I don't want to say question, but criteria? Meaning there are different people who feel differently about how Shomer Shabbos they are and whether or not, uh, you know, your level, my level, somebody else's level would all be at the same thing. So when somebody put, is that how it works? Like somebody checks off that they're just Shomer Shabbos and we take it sight unseen or? They check off if they're Shomer Shabbos or not. And obviously the ma- that's part of the reason why a matchmaker is so important. Got it. They get a little bit further understanding what that means. If someone is Yeshiva Shomer Shabbos, there's not much of a question what that means. Right. If someone's conservadox and sh- they put down Shomer Shabbos, well, we want to understand what that means a little bit better. So that's where a understanding of where they're holding today, where they came from, which direction they're going in. If someone came from no background whatsoever and now they're keeping almost all of Shabbos, then you know which direction they're going in that they, they hope to keep clearly Shabbos. Someone was orthodox and now has backed off a little bit on their observance, then you know that maybe they're, they're heading the other direction or are not as strong as they, in their conviction today. It's also finding out where they want to go in the future once they're married. Because people quite often say, here's where I am today, but I know once I get married, I want to get stronger and be back where I was before him. Hmm. So you, you also got to ask that question as well. Not only where you are, where you've come from, but also where you hope to be once you find that right person. That's really interesting. Is there an, I mean, of course, this is where my head goes. Is there an Aliyah box? Of course there's an Aliyah box. Oh. Nefesh B'Nefesh and Soyot Sinai formed together, See You in Israel, which is the uh, site that was specifically formed for people that want to make Aliyah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yes, yes. So uh, it, it's, it was formed about l- less than a year ago. It was formed about nine months ago. We have plenty of people on Soyot Sinai that also want to make Aliyah, but they felt they wanted to offer that as one of their services, help people that want to make Aliyah find, find their other. spouse quicker, and then they'll make Aliyah much quicker as well. It's a lot easier than that third date when you look at the guy across the table and say, so you want to make Aliyah, and he looks at you and says no, and it's been really great until that moment, and this obviously alleviates all of that. I can't get over the 2000 number. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you weren't. You weren't at that number when you were on the last time. Not that the number was small the last time, but that's, I mean, Baruch Hashem is all I can think. The, the, Man, the, your mother must be proud. <laughs> well, the, 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 when I first started up the site, uh, Connie and I went on our, our third date when the site was uh, just in its infancy. And you didn't meet on... We, we did not. The, right. the, the, we actually founded the site um, the, the same... Oh. The same day that I went out with a blind date with Hani is the day that I contacted my first matchmaker to start this project. Really? Yes. So uh, it's May 8, 2003 was the date that I said, I'm going to do this project, contacted Tova Weinberg as the first matchmaker to be on the site. And that night I went out with Hani. So we never had a, I never had a chance to use the product That's that I went ahead, and, went ahead and created. But um, you know, I continued with that project going forward. And obviously 2,000 people later, it's, it's working out very nicely. The pace of people getting married or accelerating, and again, the breadth of people that it's actually reaching has gone much, much broader to including everyone. In, in many locations, we have sites in Montreal and Toronto and Israel and Europe, so we're covering the entire globe today. So, wh- yeah, I know we got we have our next guest on, the ho- on, on hold, and I don't want to keep him waiting, but I want to ask you one question. What do you say to the person out there who's still hesitating to sign up? Why? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what are you waiting for? You use the internet for everything in your life today. Every, every part right. of your life today. You're using an expert in every part of your life today. You got the nutritionist, you got the, you go to the gym, you have the nice trainer that's working with you, you got a real estate broker, you got every part of your life you have an expert that's helping you out. Why are you hesitating here? I think there's almost less hesitation for some people if they have no background of what a matchmaker actually is. When you go to someone who's completely secular and say, hey, let's go ahead and use a matchmaker, they're like, hmm, interesting concept. I never thought about it. Hmm. But they're willing to try it out. If you have a preconceived notion of what it was back in the Tuvia times, forget about it. Throw it out. Start all over again because they're very, very different today. They understand. They have people working with all ages and, again, all all religious observances. 
and there's someone out there that will be able to help you find that someone out there for you. Wow. That yeah. is yeah. that is great, Mr. Mark Goldman. So you at Sinai, so you at Sinai.com. You can find them there, and very possibly you can find your better half as well. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. The, uh, the reverb in my head is making me a little crazy. It's making me hear myself even more than I already do, and Lord knows being in my head is not a pretty place. But I hope you'll come back. My pleasure to join you, and uh, despite the tremendous hardship of the <laughs> Listen, not everybody loves the Lower East Side like I do. Uh, it was great, and even even with the slight mic. Oh, uh, yes, that's all right. So I appreciate it. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Yep, we just shut off all those other mics because our second guest is actually on the phone. I am pretty sure he's coming to us from very, very sunny Los Angeles. It is earlier in the morning there. George Gomez is actually the the author of Saving the King, which started out as a script for a major motion picture and has been turned into originally an ebook and now is available as a uh, paperback. And he joins us on the phone. George, you there? I'm here. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning. And actually, I'm in Northern California, so it's not as sunny as people think. Okay, but I'm in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and it's going to be a high of 30. Do you want to play this oh, game, buddy? Well, <laughs> you know, I was playing golf last week in Fort Lauderdale, 85, then I flew to Memphis. It was 18 and fleeting. Yeah, well, you know what? You have to take a little bad weather for the team because you can be in L.A. and be in California all you want, but at some point or another, you too will get snow. Can I ask you something? Why uh, earlier you, did your sidekick say that he was wearing a surgical mask? He did not say he was wearing a surgical mask, but I suggested that he put one on because oh. he has strep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I work in a hospital, and I'm thinking, what's up with that? But yeah. Okay. No, 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 no SARS, no nothing. It's uh, it's just strep, and I'm already over being sick. But George, let's talk about the book because saving okay. the because saving the king is not about what many of our Jewish listeners might think it's about. We're not talking about the Messiah. We are actually talking about Elvis. <laughs> Elvis, the pelvis, Presley. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're talking about the king of rock and roll. Now, I, I, I did preface, I did uh, post on Facebook that I promised our listeners there was more in common between Elvis and the Jewish people than, pe- than one might actually give him credit for. But I want to take a step back for a second, because Saving the King is a fantastic book, um, which, of course, because I am completely inept, it took me 100 years to download, but that's my fault, not yours. <laughs> yeah. And I want to give George props, because it took a long time for us to be able to get to this moment of finally being able to schedule an interview. But thank God we are here. I really appreciate your patience, by the way. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, but let's talk for a second, because the book is really about second chances. That's right. Absolutely. Well, i tell you what inspired me. I was 16 years old when he died. I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was, like, shocked. I mean, back then, they didn't have the 24-hour cable. They didn't have the paparazzi all over you, and they didn't have the Internet. Nowadays, if somebody dies at 2 in the morning, you know it. Right. But back then, the inner circle only knew what was going on with Elvis, and we didn't know what his afflictions were. So I just felt cheated when the king checked out early. Mm. I did. And I just... From then on, I was 16, I was thinking of a story, how can I do this different? And I finally wanted to put some closure to his life. And um, also, where, where I'm from in Nashville, listening to Elvis was as natural as drinking water. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, it was like nothing. And then I also wanted to introduce a new generation to Elvis Presley. Because, you know, since you were two years old, you heard the name, you've seen the impersonators, but you really don't know the man. So... Interesting. I, so we, we wrote it, and it was like uh, God was giving Elvis a second chance at life for redemption. It's a relationship story, and it's not only about Elvis. It's about other people with, with afflictions, right. alcoholism, and, and you know, there's a, there's a big epidemic right now. I work in a hospital for 30-some years, and there's an epidemic with drug uh, abuse, prescription drugs. I mean, look what happened with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. So it's really timely. Absolutely. You know, I wanted Elvis to defeat his demon. It's a it's a it's a dream come true almost for Elvis mm-hmm. fans. But the truth yeah. but the truth <laughs> of the matter is, no it is because <laughs> and it's funny because until you mentioned it at the beginning, I I didn't I didn't appreciate just how true um and just how much of a part immediate uh, uh, that 
the news cycle and life being yeah. so immediate today yeah. really was. But when you lost somebody that you considered a hero or who was a major right. figure of a time, that's right, you found out in the morning when you read it in the paper or you heard right. it on the news, you didn't get push reports on your, you know, your iPad or whatever from the AP or, or from whatever yeah, news service. You don't service. have alerts on your phone. Exactly, exactly. You didn't get alerts. And so to wake up that morning, I'm sure you remembered exactly where you were when you heard. Oh, uh, I re- it was that night when they announced about late. He died like around two or three on August six, two or three p.m. on August sixteenth. I remember that Tuesday night. It was a hot August, rainy night. I was in Nashville, and bang, it came out real late. They interrupted something. I think it was Walter Cronkite, and mm-hmm. then, and I went, "What? Forty-two years old? You got to be kidding!" So I was just like in shock, like everybody else was. And you feel robbed. And- I, was, I felt robbed. I did. And, and for the millions and millions of Ellis fans that I, of course, I was one, I wanted to put some closure. I wanted to say, hey, look, this is what could have happened. You know, I mean, just it's a fictional tale, but it's really a historical fiction. Because I put a lot of truth of what his afflictions were and then, of course, the people around him and, and everything. So, I, I mean, I still read it after 50 times, and I'm, like, emotional because I remember that day. No, I'm sure. And the truth of the matter is, is that no matter where you live, you know, anywhere on the globe, and no matter what religion you belong to, there is still that person. Many people have one person or even a couple of people with whom that they connect. And it's a it's a particular figure of that generation. And you live and die and breathe with that person. That's exactly right, especially when you're a teenager in in the South and I mean, just hearing Elvis and watching his corny movies, I mean, they were, but they were good. They were fantastic to me. And watching that, and then all of a sudden, I remember asking my parents, is he going to heaven? Mm. My dad goes, well, you know, if he's, you know, if God forgives him or if he's asked for forgiveness or whatever. I mean, I was just in shock. Right. And I needed to do something. So for 36 years, I had this story, and I had the whole concept. And I was divorced for about 17 years, and I moved out of California as a traveling nurse, met my wife seven years ago, got married, and finally she got tired of me talking about it. She said, George, shut up. Just put it it on paper. So we wrote a screenplay, and then all of a sudden this this, uh, publisher called and said, hey, I don't really care about the screenplay. Could you write a book? So I told my wife, hey, let's don't be 80 and look back in our life that we didn't try it. Let's do it. So we did. That's also, by the way, its own message, isn't it? Well, pardon me? I'm saying the, the fact that you decided to take the bull by the horns and seize the moment is also, yeah. is also I mean, a I message. Did. I mean, I, even though I'm 52 now and I was 16 when that happened, I mean, I, I'm, I feel young and I'm thinking, finally, finally, I can go to all these millions of Elvis fans and all the new ones, like my daughter, she's 23 and she's heard Elvis since she was a kid, but... I ask these 20-year-olds around here, hey, who's the king of rock and roll? And they go, uh, uh, Bono. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, and so have you ever heard of Ellis Presley? Oh, yeah, the guy who shakes his leg and has right. sideburns. I mean, it, so I'm thinking, man, i got to do something quick. Right. Yeah, it's it's in, it's a, in homage or an homage to your to somebody who was a hero for you. And you also, it, it's, it's obviously was also very important to you to memorialize him in the way you had hoped or the way you saw him as opposed to the life that we all understand that he really lived. Right. I mean, who, other than his inner circle, who knew what he was doing? I mean, who just knew that he was, every time he checked into the Baptist hospital in Memphis and they said exhaustion? No, it was a drug overdose. Hmm. I mean, nobody knew that. I believed it. I mean, I was 16. Sure. He needs to, he needs to lay off and go swimming somewhere. But I was like, uh, uh, when he died uh, of the heart attack, but of course it was all the uh, prescription drug abuse. And Elvis, let me say, he was from the from the mindset that as long as you got prescription drugs, you cannot be a drug addict. Interesting. And and he and he refrained. He didn't like alcohol. He drank it a little bit, but he didn't like it. Anybody that smoked marijuana or did cocaine around him, he got really upset and told them, "Leave. Don't ever come back." Was that because he came from a religious background? Very religious. I mean, his his 
his mother and his father. And, and you know, in the South, it's the Bible Belt. Right. You know, it's just the Bible Belt. There's churches like every block, hmm. you know. And and so uh, it's just that he came from there. He, he um, was a person who was so charitable, and he gave so much. He didn't care nothing about his money, and he just, and he loved, I mean, family. He loved that little girl his. She was nine when he died, and she was there at the house. Hmm. And um, we we just came from there just uh, Friday. We were in we were in Memphis. You were in Memphis. Yeah, I've been there four times. But my um, wife, I said, "Hey, Christine, you're going to have to like go to Graceland. What if they start asking you if you've ever been there and you can't like, you know?" So we went there, and then we went to all the historical sites in in uh, Memphis that we wrote the book like uh, Elmwood Cemetery. There's a there's a part, and then the Pink Palace where. The billionaire in the in the book. That's we kind of molded the house, uh, Sun Records, and uh, of course, uh, of course, um, Graceland. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important, George, that we make sure that that people understand that, as especially somebody like you who works in the medical field and is a medical professional, that descri- that drug and and alcohol addiction in general does not discriminate. It doesn't matter what. No. It doesn't matter they what. Don't re- care. Exactly. What I mean, the- so these guys in Hollywood, you know, they're multimillionaires. They're so wealthy. They can do whatever they want to do. And then all of a sudden they're dead, you know, because they went on a binge and they can get these drugs for free and, and everything. Then they rarely get caught, you know. So, I'm, yeah, yeah, they don't care. I mean, they don't care how famous, how rich you are, who you are. You know, so I, I and Elvis was like bigger than life. Right. He was like the greatest entertainer alive and sold the most ever from anybody, and then they didn't care, you know, 42 years old, and he looked like 50, if you know, if you remember him at the very last years of his life, and, and so it, it took him away. So I just felt cheated that he was checked out way too early. And what about the, 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 the message of redemption? Isn't it amazing to think, or isn't it, is it a, a wishful thinking to think that everyone can be redeemed, or is that just part of of all of our spiritual ad, spirituality, regardless of of whatever li- religion you you prescribe to? Well, both of what you said, you know, it is a part of your life, and it is a part of your religious beliefs. But everybody loves a redemption story. Everybody right. loves that. I mean, if you remember one of my all time favorite movies, It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> where where Jimmy Stewart got a second chance to right. see to see how life would have been without him. Right. And they just loved when he came back and the family thing. So, I mean, every time I see movies that with uh, that has redemption in it, even if it's a bad movie, it kind of just like melts me. And that's what I wanted to do with Elvis. And I wanted him to defeat his afflictions. But you need help. I mean, in this book, you'll see what we do to Elvis, this billionaire. Right. He say, you know. So, you know, I, of course, yes, uh, redemption is part of our life, and we it is wishful thinking at times. It's also um, one of the parts of the story, by the way, that, that I enjoyed the most, and I really did enjoy reading it. You had said to me, it's a page-turner, you'll love it. And obviously, as an author, you are very committed and, and true to your book, but the truth matters, you are 100% right. <laughs> and <laughs> and I also, just to show either my age or my ineptitude, this was my first ebook I had ever downloaded. Well, that's why you were having problems. Yeah, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to find it afterwards. You know what I had to do, of course, is get one of my teenagers to tell me, and then she's yeah, like, "Yeah, that's what you got to do." That's why when I started the internet, I had to get my kids to, you know, we're we, we we're back from the old phones and everything, which yeah. I think is better. Yeah, this new technology these days, it's getting people or kids, young kids, out of the whole world view. They don't even care. Do you know that my kids take pictures of payphones because they think it's cute? Oh my! I mean, texting is—it kills people right. driving. But texting, you know, when my daughter's eating with us and whatever, I'm going, "Who are you texting? <laughs> why don't you talk? Why don't you talk to me?" Right. So, you know, I mean, technology is good, but sometimes it—it just really a step backward. Right. But now the book is available. It was available starting this week on paperback. That's right. That's right. A... So if it's not at your local bookstore, please ask for it. They'll stock it because we have a big distri- distributing uh, company, Ingram Books. It's uh, based out of Nashville, and uh, of course, it's on the ebooks for the last uh, two months or so. And then uh, we have social media. It's at Saving the King and at Waldorf Press, 
and uh, Facebook, uh, Saving the King. But, yeah, you can go to Amazon and, and check it out. I mean, you can see all the great reviews. We've had 17 so far, and uh, all of them have been five stars. George, let me ask you a question. You know, it's 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 I don't want to say unusual, but it's an interesting progression that you wrote it first as a screenplay, and it was only when a publisher came to you and said, how about put, turning into a book, that you actually turned it into a narrative. Why did you start it as a screenplay? Because I wanted him, because that's what's going to reach the, the mass audience, media. Mm. I mean, nowadays, people don't even read that much anymore. I mean, that so many bookstores have been out of, going out of business because of, because of the e-books. Right. And so this will reach the mass audience. And so we wrote the screenplay, and we went to a few screenplay classes and whatever. My, my wife's like this highly intelligent woman, <laughs> and so she figured it out. We wrote the screenplay, a few rewrites, and bang. Wow. I mean, it's, and then, you know, usually movies are based off the book, but this is based off the screenplay. And, and, and the screenplay is completely a different animal. There's certain things you can't say, you can't do, and in the book you can be more, like you said, narrative and explain. You've got to explain to a blind person how Graceland looks. Right, right. The jungle room and everything else. I oh, told the you. The jungle room. That's where we start out the, the uh, to start out the book and the jungle. I just was there Friday. It was just awesome. I told I mean, you. I've been to Graceland it's once. Cool, it's a cool man cave, but women don't like it. Much. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely a period piece, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. That is I like for that. thank you. I, I, every once in a while, I come up with a good line. George, let me ask you another question. Tell me about um, where you are in terms of production of the motion picture. Well, we have an agent in New York, and we also have a publicist um, in uh, Boston, but she's also in New York. But I've talked to like 40, 50 producers. I mean, every one of them are very interested. Of course, in Hollywood, it's all about the bottom line. Right. So they were saying, well, okay, what about funding? What about this? What about that? But I've had the, the uh, screenplay option. They wanted to option. I didn't want to do it from people in Australia, from people in London. So right now, when the book comes out, and I mean, I'm hoping it's successful, I think the screenplay will be way more valuable. And I've, I've talk, I talked to two producers just this morning. I sent them the link because we had a TV interview in Memphis and he said, oh, man, George, we need to talk. So, But it's all about the bottom line, everything. Are you concerned that they're going to take the screenplay and adjust it and tweak it to a place that doesn't doesn't allow Elvis to, to remain in, in the image that either you wrote him or that you have him in your mind? Extremely uh, worried about that because we don't, I mean, Elvis, I mean, I, you know, he, there, we don't have any kind of sex in the book and in the screenplay. This is a story about him and about what happens, and I don't want to give it away. But, of course, I mean, in Hollywood, you got to have the sex and you got to have this and you got to have this for people. But I don't think so. I really believe that you, if you watch, if you read this book, I mean, a 10-year-old can read it. In fact, my niece from Florida, she's like uh, 16, and she said, wow, I, mm-hmm. I never knew that this was Elvis. Right. And I really believe if you get a good, clean, great story, it'll trump everything else. Isn't so it? I'm going to fight for it, Miriam. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to negotiate and say, look, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, and if they say we're going to do it, I'll say, well, I'm not going to sell it. So it's that simple. George Gomez is the author of Saving the King, and you can find it um, in, on Amazon. You can find it for your nook. Did I say that right? Right, right. There we I go. Book. <laughs> on iBooks, right? And now isn't, that a, isn't that a weird word, nook? Yeah, you know what? Right now, anything. Hate... It was weird enough for me to turn a page by, you know, flicking my screen. It was. Yeah. It was the yeah. whole thing was the whole thing was part of an experience. I, I really <laughs> do sound like I'm a hundred right now, but being 38 and not being able to flick a book is 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 something else. You also have um, begun something called the Elvis Presley Charitable Foundation. Tell me about that. Well, okay, sure. Uh, we're going to give 5% back to the uh, Charitable Foundation of Elvis Presley. It was started in 2007 by his daughter, of course, Lisa Marie Presley, and it's, it helps people in poverty. Mm. And um, Elvis, I mean, he really literally gave his shirt off his back. When he had these rings and gold diamond watches and furs or whatever, he would go, do you like it? Here, take it. He would do that a lot. Here, take this watch. You want this? Take it. And he bought homes. He bought Cadillacs. And, of course, I mean, he bought so many cars. And uh, he just gave. In fact, 
Elvis never cared about his money. In 1973, he was the highest paying tax person in the United States. Wow. The highest. Wow. And also, Elvis gave a lot to the Jewish community in Memphis, which I didn't know it was that large. I told you there were a lot of I Jews there. I know you did. I mean, when I went <laughs> to my wife, I said, hey, go to the GPS to that uh, that Jewish community that I heard about. And there was another one, and we, we didn't go in, but I went, wow. Right. And I Googled it and looked at it, and, man, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we're all over the place. Stuff does. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I wasn't lying to you when we spoke. No, no. <laughs> and, you, and you're known for lying, isn't that? Exactly, no, exactly. Talk to my kids. Um, <laughs> but no, the truth of the matter is, is that that's also part of this in terms of of um, Elvis's uh, personality and his legend right. and and what he's known for. And again, charity is something that that it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter what you believe in that is a universal truth that is a universal moral that the more you give the better and oh, bettering the world I mean, absolutely right i give to people and it just makes me feel good and my wife goes why why did you give him that much mm-hmm. i mean i you know i know exactly what that feels and and also um that's how Elvis was. I mean, it just makes you feel good to give. Right. And, you know, I was looking at this, this stuff that you, that the, the Memphis Jewish Community Center and the Jewish uh, Foundation Federation there, it's unbelievable what they do. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's for everybody, too. It's not, not Jewish. I mean, they give so much money to all the people in need in Israel, 60 and 60 countries. I'm like, wow, in Memphis, Tennessee? In red, <laughs> in redneck country? You got I mean, it. I was, I was amazed. That is, it is. It's Memphis is a wonderful, wonderful community, um, a wonderful Jewish community, and uh, I spent a little bit of time there, and it was, it's very warm and and very inviting. And, oh yeah, yeah, very. And, and let me tell you something else about Elvis that will shock a lot of people. I mean, there's a book called Elvis and Gladys. It was written by uh, a Jewish um, uh, woman author, and she did a lot of research. And I mean, it's like I looked at it last night. And I go, well, yeah, you know. Elvis was legally like a, he was legally Jewish really? because I think by by having been born from a Jewish mother, correct, she was really yeah yeah I mean she like her great grandmother was um, was Jewish they even have the name or I think Hackett was the and then they, they went to the genealogy and they showed it all well and that's... he wore and I can't say it Miriam but it's it a Kai Kai or yeah, a high, a high necklace, okay. correct. He wore that a few times. Interesting. And he also wore the the um, star of David. I and thought when his I mother thought... died, Gladys. Uh, he put a star of David on the coffin, on and but then they started getting vandalized. Then they moved the coffin to Graceland because they had more security, and the star of David was taken off. But and he gave like one hundred fifty thousand bucks to this Hebrew, the Hebrew Academy there. He just, you know. So I don't know what to say. I just know what. You can read and what the book says, and so he was legally. I mean, he was that's, legally ama- Jewish. that's amazing. Yeah, I think we're going to start calling him Elvis Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah, call him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and, and, try and that he, one on for size. He just did so much for the Jewish community there, also, and uh, I mean, I just really believe that Elvis would have helped anybody. No, I think you're right, and I think that the book shows him in all the lights that that people would like to remember their heroes and people would like to remember people of their time um, who passed. And the truth of the matter is you can say that about any person who... Any, any person. Exactly. And, and let me tell you one more thing time. about Elvis is that... Tell me fast, George, though. I tell me like fast, George, because we're running very... out of time. Oh, okay. When, all right. So, uh, when no, I was no, no, 10 tell or 11 years old, yeah. he would quote Anne Frank. Really? Yeah, I was 10 or 11. And I mean, I didn't know who Anne Frank was. And he will quote certain things about her. And from then on, I started reading about Anne Frank. So I wow. wanted to tell you that. Wow, that is a that is a very interesting tidbit. The truth of the matter is, is that Anne Frank, as you know, should be on the tips of everybody's tongues. That is that sure. is a story that is a story to share. Anyway, saving the king, George Gomez. I'm happy that we finally made the time and we were able to figure this out. You're a phenomenal guest. I can't wait to hear what happens with the motion picture. Oh well, thank you, and thank you so much for this opportunity. And as Elvis always said, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, George. Enjoy the sun. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Network. I'm Miriam L. Wallach. Thank you for making us part of your day. Let's go through the lineup very quickly. A full afternoon of programming starts right after That's Life. It's the live lunch. We will be co-hosting. That would be Avrami and I are co-hosting. Add that we start at 11. As we start with brunch, we end with lunch. And then followed by an all-new stunt show hosted by Mayor Furtick. If you haven't heard about it already, check out the information. This, this show is going to be out of this world. 
out of this world. I cannot wait to tune in at 1 o'clock. And we know Throwback Thursday, we are encoring JM and AM from years past, which is always a lot of fun. Encore of Buy the Book and Michael Fragan at 6 p.m., Charlie Burnhout. We got the whole lineup, guys. You don't want to miss it. And as we keep on telling you, tomorrow is day 10 of JM and the AM's marathon, live here on the stream at nachamsegel.com, jmandam.org. Starts at 6, ends at around 9.30. It is a supersized JM and the AM. We do it once, and we do it for a reason. Day 10, you do not want to miss it. That also means, folks, Naomi does not start tomorrow morning before 9.30. So please make sure to adjust your times and look at your watches. And Don't text us. Don't call us at 9 and say, where's Naomi? I'm telling you right now, she's starting at 9.30. If you have not given yet, please give what you can. Go to jmandam.org and pledge. As our listeners know, Day 10 is crazy and exciting and packed with guests and announcements. You do not want to miss a second of it. That's tomorrow morning starting at 6 o'clock. Just remember, your donations are what keep JM and AM on the air. An updated 2014 schedule is on our website, knockhamsegal.com. My thanks to my guests. Mark Goldman saw you at Sinai, and he's right. If you haven't signed up yet, what are you waiting for? And George Gomez from Saving the King. That was a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I leave you today with Simcha Liner's Me, Me, Me. I heard it last week as I was driving all over Israel in my cute little rental car during that amazing weather, which I have not yet experienced. Since uh, there was something really significant and really poignant about driving through Israel and listening to that sco- song, which discusses Kibbutz Galiot, driving through the land of our forefathers. i got to tell you, it really got to me. The live lunch starts in a few minutes. My thanks to Mark Zomik for providing my lunch at 6 a.m., which was the sushi that he got for me, which was great, and I really appreciated it. <sighs> Stay tuned. And again, please give what you can at jmnam.org. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Me, 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 me,